there's this this challenge uh, for the new general counsel mindset uh, to build resilience for the future. And there's now a different skill set that's required for these roles. You know, during difficult and disruptive times, there's a different type of general counsel that is needed. One that is empathetic, caring, thoughtful, uh, versus the old school authoritarian and top-down approaches uh, that we used to see. Welcome to The Law in Black and White, a podcast featuring Jonathan Greenblatt and myself, Brian Parker. We're the co-founders of Legal Innovators, an alternative legal service provider. We have been friends for over 25 years. We're both lawyers with lots of opinions. In this podcast, we look at current events, the business of law, innovation, and diversity in the legal industry. And occasionally, we'll even talk about sports. As the name of our show suggests, we recognize that there may be aspects of the law that require our thinking to go beyond just the black and white of the law. We'll share what we know, what we've learned, and what we're still learning. John? In today's episode, we will be discussing the role of general counsel and chief legal officer in driving cost savings and diversity, equity, and inclusion. We're honored to have with us today Angela Grant and LaTanya Langley. Angela Grant serves as the Chief Legal Officer and Corporate Secretary at Palomar Holdings, Inc., where she uses her experience in the insurance industry to oversee all in-house and corporate counsel duties. She's active in the InsureTech and the broader PNC insurance community and acts as an advisor for Vonzella, a startup focused on developing products for underserved communities. LaTanya Langley currently serves as Vice President, General Counsel, and Corporate Secretary at BIC, one of the best-known international brands in writing instruments, lighters, and shavers. At BIC, she manages all legal matters for their largest business unit, supply chain, and leads anti-corruption compliance. We are delighted to have you both with us today, and thank you for joining us. All right. Before we get into the questions, going to set the stage quickly uh, to talk about the role of the general counsel and chief legal officer and how that's been ever evolving. We know general counsels and chief legal officers have a seat at the management table. You all are trusted partners to the C-suite and the board and increasingly responsible for enhancing the business, financial, and risk strategies of your respective corporations and integrity of the operations. With the pandemic, we have seen many GCs focus on doing more with less across the board, from savings to evaluating resources to managing culture and teams efficiently. General counsels and chief legal officers are in a unique position to drive real, meaningful change, both inside and outside their organizations. I think the, the first question, and maybe Latanya, we'll start with you. What are some of the biggest challenges, and we'll go to Angela right after, but what are some of the biggest challenges that you're seeing in the, in the corporation today from cost to diverse teams to retaining talent, especially in this uh, environment of COVID? Thank you for having me. Uh, and I'm, I'm, it's a pleasure uh, to be on this uh, podcast with Angela as well. I've noticed that there is a steady rise in mitigation planning and establishing programs to anticipate risks. Uh, there's a strong focus on proactive risk management 
And the role of general counsel has evolved from you know, what was once known as the office of no to one of significant strategic influence. Legal was largely viewed uh, as a cost center mm -hmm. in many companies and a, a barrier to progress. However, the general counsel office today is more viewed as you know, a business driver, you know, strategic business partners. And with the pandemic and, and changing technology and this increased risk of economic uncertainty, uh, as well as a social justice awakening, there's this, this challenge uh, for the new general counsel mindset uh, to build resilience for the future. And there's now a different skill set that's required for these roles. You know, during difficult and disruptive times, there's a different type of general counsel that is needed. One that is empathetic, caring, thoughtful, uh, versus the old school authoritarian and top-down approaches uh, that we used to see. You know, being strong and exhibiting strength has a very different meaning today uh, than it has ever had. And I find that legal departments are now responding to the pandemic, and there's a shifting digital landscape, as well as diversity, equity, and inclusion steps. There's technological competencies that are now being required to be prepared for the challenges ahead. So I've found that GCs are now being tasked with maintaining business resiliency and stability in an environment of uncertainty. Uh, there was a recent survey I read by Relativity and FTI Consulting that revealed that GCs are now becoming guardians of risk and unforeseen risk. They're now becoming chief health officers and custodians of employee safety. I always say that my new title uh, in, this, in this era is now CCSO, which is Chief Common Sense Officer, <laughs> because most of my time is being spent ensuring that as a company, we're not only following the law, but we're also doing what makes sense. And there's no legal precedent for that. Um, and so general counsels are now mitigating uh, skills gaps. And we're outsourcing more than ever before. We're using technology and tools. And, and frankly, we've become stewards of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, so now more than ever, as, 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 as general counsels, we're becoming mentors uh, in the legal profession, both in ethics, compliance, and anticipating risk. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, tough job. Uh, Angela, I'll come, mm -hmm. come to you with the same question, but... Enhanced slightly because uh, uh, listening to that, and especially with the the risk component that's always been there, but Latanya was uh, kind of enhancing that. How are you guys doing all of that, and and you know with the resources that have been given to you? Just wondering what your your thoughts are on this topic. It's a great question. I would say the biggest challenge for for me has been trying to get all of the work done with a remote staff, and also factoring in privacy, security, the risk management pieces of it with everyone being home. You know, we sent people home the week of the pandemic sort of becoming a thing, like when in the Bay Area, um, the day before St. Patrick's Day, next week, it'll be a year, everyone's home. And it's sort of this new normal that we're all getting adjusted to. And, and I agree with Latanya around the importance of thinking about the people and making sure everyone's happy and mentally well, but then also pushing forward to still get all of the work that has to be done, done. Mm -hmm. And so it's um, with an entrepreneurial spirit of a team 
as well as a lean sort of staffing model combined with, frankly, more hours being worked because you're home and you have to actually make yourself walk away from the work um, to keep some sort of work-life balance. And so I think the pandemic really has shown how resilient or not resilient companies really are because everyone's had to rise to the occasion. And so it's been challenging, but possible, mainly because of our corporate culture and our willingness to everybody roll up your sleeves and get it done and regular check-ins. And I, I also agree with the Department of No, the Office of No, that's no longer the case. I, I've never had a experience where I've had an attorney who started on my team saying no, who either stayed very long or didn't shift their mentality. Because um, we're here really to support the business and provide ideas and suggestions, not just tell them what the law says. And, and what I always say is everybody can read. It shouldn't have to just say, here's what the law says. It's more like, how does the law apply to the business? How does the law apply to the business in the time of a pandemic with everyone working from home? And so it's challenging, but possible. Uh, I was going to pick up in a minute on a theme that LaTanya um, touched on, which was diversity uh, and equity and inclusion for both of you. But before I did that, I was struck by uh, both of your comments on the, ch- the way risk has changed and the role of the general counsel in managing the risk. And I couldn't help but think to a friend of mine as the uh, president of Fortune magazine, and he spoke at Gino Oriamo's, it wasn't, it's a business leadership symposium that he has, which is really interesting. And Alan said that the dynamics for companies in today's technological age is so different. You can have a deputy manager of a particular outlet of your business do something that they shouldn't do, and it gets picked up on video because everybody's got a rolling camera at any time, and it goes viral. And unlike the days, as he pointed out, where there used to be kind of a things got up to the corporate suite after a lot of thought and a lot of papers went into it and, and research. By the time they got to the CEO, they'd been vetted. Now people have to react in an instant. So the question really that I wanted to follow up on is how has that changed the risk, the compliance and risk issues for you all when we live in a world where something can go wrong in a minute and you have to react instantly on the ground? I mean, I I will say that, you know, now, you know, GCs are becoming guardians of emerging risks and unforeseen risks. So, you know, typically those risks are around the law. Right. But now it's around, you know, data protection, security, privacy, I mean, emerging data types, in addition to intellectual property laws. And those were actually all of those were identified as top concerns that have intensified in 2020. And so, you know, we are now thinking about risks that may come that we could not have anticipated in the past. So that, I think, is a new challenge. Angela, do you see it the same way? Um, I, I do see it the same way. I, I, I believe that part of the GC or chief legal officer's job is to think ahead. You know, I try to be sometimes two, three years, maybe five years ahead about, okay, where is the business going? So being involved in strategy discussions, like what is our three to five year plan 
and then going back and sort of road mapping. Okay, if we do this, then we need to think about these things. If we go this way, then we need to think about something different. In the insurance space, from a distribution perspective, if you sell through independent agents, that's one business model. If you go direct to consumer, whole different business model. You know, if you're considering bringing on new talent who maybe are also doing things in the intellectual property space that cross what you're doing, you have to think about all of those different things. Jurisdiction matters. Are you in California? Are you in New York? All of these different things sort of factor into where the business needs to go. So yeah, I I totally agree. Totally agree. Let me start with you, Angela. We're living in an age where there's uh, an increased focus on diversity, equity, inclusion. A lot of corporate investors, shareholders, GCs are pushing to make diversity and inclusion a key focus. And um, and that has been shown, there's data that shows it's good for the bottom line, aside from being very good morally for our society. What have you seen uh, the role become? How have you used the role? How do you think the role can be used to drive greater progress in those areas? Because historically, I would say until the last several years, clients have not pushed that as aggressively as they're beginning to. Um, well, what I what I first like to say is um, I've only been with Palomar since the end of November. Uh, one of the reasons I joined Palomar is because my boss, Mac Armstrong, is a proponent of equity and inclusion, as well as social justice reform and climate change, and he's so much entrenched in that he actually posts things on LinkedIn from him, not just from the company. So that that was one of the things that really attracted me to the company. So when I joined here at Palomar, they had already created a new committee for the topic of social justice and environment. So it basically an environmental, social, and corporate governance committee, or ESG. We had our first meeting in January. And, you know, we also have a diversity and inclusion council, which is driven by the employee base. So it's from the ground up versus us dictating down from the C-suite around what should happen with diversity and inclusion. In addition, the company published its first sustainability and citizenships report, which restated our commitment to diversity and using diversity as an action word, came up with sort of a list of things to do for 2021. One of those things was to deposit $10 million in an African-American bank in Los Angeles. That's the kind of action item to me that speaks to really wanting to change the conversation and push through action and accountability versus just putting it on your website or getting everybody some t-shirts or having cake every quarter or bringing in a token diversity person who doesn't get any support and then ends up leaving, which especially is true in corporations and law firms. If they don't have a place to go where they feel safe or feel included, they end up you know, putting up their their independent shingles and, and not ever really staying within the environment where everyone collectively learns and grows together. So in, in my particular position, I have a I feel a duty to actively participate in improving diversity and inclusion in the marketplace and in insurance and law, two areas where there is great need. <laughs> and and of course those two intersect for me. 
which is why I'm super excited to be connected with you guys and, and being able to see if there's some opportunities to improve things through the legal innovators model. Well, thank you for that. And um, your answer, and for trying to collaborate with us in some way where we can make a difference. Latanya, I know you've been very active and you've uh, recently taken numerous steps to, to, uh, in these areas. Maybe you can elaborate on your thinking. Yes. So I strongly believe that, you know, as general counsels and leaders in our organizations, I mean, we have a duty, you know, I, I agree with Angela. We don't have the luxury to stay in our comfort zones of silence or inaction. You know, we're just not allowed to blend in as we play a very important role um, as stewards of diversity, equity, and inclusion. I think that it's important for us to be the heads of defense for our companies. And so we are charged with promoting and protecting corporate values uh, and performance cultures. We have the incredible power and influence to be stewards of change through compliance, you know, drafting our programs. You know, we, we are drafting codes of conduct. We're enforcing the company's codes and ethics. Uh, and we, we are influential in creating the right mindset that includes integrity, ethics, culture, and values in our organizations. So I also believe that we have a personal obligation, not only as general counsels, to be involved in our communities and ensure that we are creating opportunities and diversifying the pipeline. So I, I've worked very closely with other general counsels and other law firms. In particular, one of the programs that I've worked on with the, the National Bar Association Commercial Law Section was to create opportunities for law students of color. Uh, and in response to the aftermath of the deaths of several members uh, of the Black community, we noticed that many of our Black students were being impacted negatively uh, in the legal pipeline. And so we created a Black Lawyers Matters program where we've created jobs and opportunities for law students with law firms and corporations signing up. And again, I mean, this is just one particular program. I mean, the work like LI, you know, that places diverse lawyers in the paths of opportunities. I mean, that's the kind of work that we need to be doing right now. And I'm so excited uh, to be able to work with you guys to figure out what's the next step to continue to diversify that pipeline. Thank you both. Brian? Yeah. And, and thank you. I guess you, you guys are, are sort of both uh, too modest to uh, to tout your own horns. And I, I think uh, Angela, not just with us, but generally has uh, worked with you know law firms and saying, look, let's all have a conversation together. And, and we're appreciative of that. And obviously, we've learned from uh, Latanya, which super impressed with, right? This comes the, the crisis that you all are talking about coming out of the summer program. And, and you saw a, a bunch of, you know, people of color, uh, be frank, lose their summer opportunities. And you just took it on yourself and got your colleagues together. And I, I think that that's what we're talking about. The collective action will drive systemic change. So I just want to appreciate and applaud both of you for that. I'm going to go into costs and I'm going to go to Angela uh, for this, but I want to do a quick precursor because both of you talked, I think, in, in the first question about mental health. And Angela, I think maybe it was you in saying, hey, I've got to you know, step back. I, I wonder if you could say, especially in this distributed environment where you can't see everybody every day and check on them, what you guys are doing to make sure that you're both staying balanced yourselves, you've got a lot of responsibility on your shoulders, 
And how, if you are, how are you pushing that out to your organizations? Um, so in regards to mental health, you know, one of the things that I did earlier this year was added a line tagline to my email, which actually I think they need to update it because they just rebranded everything. But it basically says, I don't expect you to respond on nights or weekends so that if I send something out, I don't need people working till 10 o'clock mm. trying to re respond to it. I mean, sometimes that's required, but that's typically not my my style because whatever business we're doing is not as important as people getting enough sleep and having time with their families and taking time off, etc. So for myself, the shelter in place order, California has been really tough on what you can do and what you can't do. Mm -hmm. Can't say they've had a lot of success in keeping the numbers down, but we, we have had a lot of tight restrictions. And so... For me personally, I've been spending time reading, listening to music, meditating, <laughs> exercising, yeah. eating, exercising yeah. some more. Right. Um, <laughs> the COVID and, snacking. Yeah, it's it's COVID gotten snacking. us all. Yeah. It has. It has. And, and so making sure that I encourage the people that I see in the office, we're probably at about 15% capacity, 15% capacity. So checking in and saying, hey, you heading out soon? Like if it's six o'clock and I'm still here and I probably would be here, but I, I don't want anyone on my team or people that I have any sort of uh, spend any time with still being at work at seven o'clock during a pandemic. It's just not a good feeling. Even if, if um, they're working from home, we use Teams. So you can always see who's available. If I see green lights late in the night or evening, I start just saying, Signing off soon, question mark. Just trying to encourage right. people to go do something else. I can't tell you how different that was from the days when I when I started yeah. practicing law. We didn't have yeah. teams, yeah. but we had the equivalent of a 24-7 green light. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. You're, you're expected to be seen. Latanya, how are you for yourself and your organization? Well, for starters, I'm ensuring that, you know, when I ask my team members and my colleagues how they're doing, I actually want to know, and I wait mm. to hear how they're doing. Right. So I'm practicing a lot more listening. I'm being much more empathetic and caring about team members. It's always about them before it's about the project. We've also been making efforts to have programming that reinforces the importance of uh, taking care of self. So, you know, we've set up virtual coffee rooms so team members can come in those coffee rooms and just check on each other. And you can't talk about work on, in these virtual coffee rooms. Uh, we've had, in fact, next week we have a guest speaker coming to speak to our women. Uh, and this was inspired by what has saved my life, at least during the pandemic, which is Peloton uh, yes. classes. And so I have Tunde, who's a very popular Peloton instructor she, coming. She is uh, very yes. tough to get through. So I'll, I'll ride yes. with you, but not during uh, Tunde. So yes, B yes. BP underscore 19. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, follow me and I'll follow you back. Yes. And, and she's really, you know, she's been very helpful. Her classes oh. have been very inspiring. And I want her to come and talk to our women about healthy living and, and mindfulness. And I've also had, you know, guest psychiatrists. I've had, you know, uh, guests, uh, even spiritual leaders to come and help my team meditate. We have a yoga, virtual yoga class coming up as well. So it's finding ways to have team building 
But at the same time, ensuring everyone is okay, full circle, mind, body, and spirit, because I think that's how you're going to keep engaged teams. And then more than anything, sometimes it's just requiring everyone to shut down, shut your computer off, and let's start over tomorrow. You know, the work is not going anywhere. You know, we make pens, lighters, and shavers, right? We're we're not saving lives. So it's really, really important to just be able to exhale and really prioritize your health uh, and your mental well-being. And so we're really being vigilant about ensuring our team members have those resources. Yeah. Thank, thank you for letting me uh, or us go down that uh, track. I just think it's so important, especially in this, uh, in this era. Um, Angela, I'm going to just come to you only with this, uh, with this question. And I want to explore uh, a topic of cost that's been facing USGCs and chief legal officers for a long time. It's not new, but we're in an environment, I think, where we're seeing hourly rates on the rise. And, and there's lots of reasons for that. One of the trends that we're hearing, not surprisingly, is that corporations want to pay for results uh, as opposed to a lawyer's time. The rise of alternative billing, and whether that's flat fees or caps or other alternative fee arrangements, I'm wondering, you know, what what has been uh, your experience with uh, with with alternative billing, and are there creative things that you've been able to do with your partner law firms to make sure that you're getting what you need? Obviously, they're making a living, but that it's working for uh, the cost structure of your company and your shareholders? Um, So, yeah, that's a great question. I've had quite a bit of experience with pushing for alternative billing methods. Um, And I really think it depends on the practice area, the frequency and complexity of the related matters that are being worked on. And really, in my view, things like litigation and simple corporate governance bode well for alternative billing methods. But more complex or transactional matters really require legal specialists and may not fit into that model. And I, what I've learned over time is if you try to fit something that's complex and transactional into a alternative billing method, you end up with a low performing attorney who does not do great work and you're redoing that work. And so maybe you're not paying as much for legal fees, but you're spending more time because you can't trust that the work is going to meet the standard that you would otherwise. So when I have something that is transactional, you just never know where that's going to go, depending on if it's M&A, if it's something complex in regards to process around that really is just regular check-ins and you know saying, hey, we want to try to keep the expense down here. We'll do these parts in-house. You guys take care of these other ones. And if it's something that is really project related, I've had great success with working with my outside legal partner on developing a project plan and a budget and saying, here's what you guys are going to do. Here's what we're going to do. And let's just resync and make sure there's no deviation from that. So that way, at the end, my CEO is not getting a surprise bill that that he, he or she just didn't believe. In this case, he it should have cost that much. Legal costs are never (laughs) perceived to be valuable, right? So we just have to be really careful about how we move around. And I I think when you have a business person engaging with outside counsel and making a request, it's a very broad, non-specific request. And therefore, you get back a very broad, non-specific answer with lots of expense attached to it. But as a, a proactive attorney, leading an organization, I can be very specific about what I need them to do. And if they don't honor that, 
then we have a whole nother issue. And so relationships matter more than anything. So I work with attorneys, not law firms, and I make sure there's a level of trust between us so that we develop roadmaps that reduce expenses and increase legal value. It's not always possible, depending on what's happening. Like if something gets off the rails, it just gets off the rails. And I'm fine with, you know, holding my position on this is what we agreed to and you're way out of range. You're going to have to take a cut on this or I'll just find someone else. Um, And also pushing back on my organization, my CFO to say, this is how much it costs. Here's why the bill is what it is. And so I think in both scenarios, I've been described as having an iron fist in a velvet glove. So my position is my position, but I do with a smile and lots of honey. So <laughs> Okay. Uh, that so helps, gonna... I have to tell you. I've been on the other end of that, and that can right. help. <laughs> yeah. So really following up on this cost issue, uh, you're both probably familiar with the fact that alternative legal service providers, or ALSPs, that market has grown geometrically. I mean, I didn't even know what that meant five years ago. And we're talking about a huge growth in that market as a way of driving cost, driving cost savings, and at least in the case of our company, including driving diversity and inclusion and equity goals. Uh, What do you see as the future there? What are we, for example, you know our model, what are we missing on the diversity, equity, and inclusion and cost savings front? that we could do better. Be interested in your thoughts. And we could start with Latanya on this one. Yes, there are are a number of key interconnected factors that are leading us to consider the use of ALSPs, notably the cost pressures, right? We're expected to do more with less. Um, And so as a function, you know, legal, we're we're struggling to, to best utilize our talent uh, with more than, you know, more hours spent conducting routine compliance with low value tasks. Um, so we are gravitating to ALSPs for access to specialized expertise. Um, and that's with respect to technology, higher value projects and, and more complex tasks. And we find that the technology, the deployment of that technology is much more efficient and then legal departments can really focus on what we're there for, which is the advising part. Um, what are we missing? Frankly, it's not our job in-house to train new talent or young talent. Uh, I'm not going to pay law firms to train talent either. I think that that job belongs with the law firms. But with the high billing rates you know, for young lawyers and the high overhead, you know, many young lawyers are sort of being left behind when it comes to talent investment. And of course, that even impacts our diverse young lawyers even more. And so LI, for example, you guys, you changed the game uh, because you provide that training, you provide the diverse talent, and you, you're committed to diversifying the pipeline with lower rates. And so for us, you know, this is a wonderful path for opportunities. And it, it's something that we're much more attractive to in light of the fact that it's hard to find the type of talent that you guys find, we can just come and knock on your door. So, Thank, thank you yeah. for that. I'm going to ask yeah. Angela the same question. One thing for another day when we can get you all back, um, trying to visualize the future of what law firms will look like jumps out at me from this discussion because I think the profession is going to change 
and this isn't a criticism. I just think it's going to change uh, to respond to a whole different environment going forward. But anyway, a- Angela, question to you. Same one. <laughs> so um, I am new to Legal Innovators. I've had the pleasure of meeting you guys just uh, maybe a couple of months ago. And in my view, it's really a three-way partnership. It is the corporation it's the ALSP, you guys in particular, and the law firm. And gives us the ability really to put diversity and inclusion in action in a way that's sustainable and has a longer term benefit because corporations, just like Latina said, we don't have time to do training. And, and really, we need someone who can come to the table, hit, hit the ground running, and get the work done. So if they can't, they probably won't survive. It dep- especially depending on what kind of corporation it is. Is it a corporation in, uh, swimming around with sharks or dolphins or dolphins who play sharks on TV? It could be any of those. And if you're hypersensitive, if you're not emotionally intelligent enough, if you don't have enough grit, you won't make it. No different than if you're at a law firm. And really, to me, attorneys don't always know what they want to do right out of law school. Some of them are better in-house. Some of them are better at a law firm. I never wanted to work at a law firm. I was clear about that from the beginning. I'm as non-traditional an attorney as you can as you can get. But I, I do think if, if it's a three-way relationship where by the attorneys getting training and understanding how business works, as well as how to do technical stuff from a, a law firm perspective, that just sets everything up for success, as well as creating a safe place for attorneys who are part of legal innovators to learn and grow in their legal careers and be able to go and feel like they they have a place to to get advice and counsel and not feel like they're outsiders. In regards to what are we missing, I don't know if there's anything missing. In my view, you guys are ahead of the game. Um, If I had to make one suggestion, it would be leadership development, not just technical expertise. And so now I'm going to do my plug for my friend's book, which is called... uh, Crossing Meridians. I don't know if you guys can see that. Her name is Cynthia Hardy, H-A-R-D-Y, and the book is called Crossing Meridians. And it really is about, she's from Meridian, Mississippi, had a you know really successful legal career, was an insurance executive, and really went through tough experiences. I'm sure Latanya's gone through tough experiences as well. Probably all of you have. And, and she's really recorded how to not only learn how to follow, but lead, because a good leader knows how to follow. And then to be able to look at work as something that is an opportunity and and not something that's going to pain you and where you, you're taking things personal and you can't survive. And so in my view, diverse candidates at corporations, law firms, et cetera, sort of come in with their guard up and And unless you can dismantle that, they will never have success in corporate America or at a law firm. That's good advice, which we will incorporate. (laughs) Absolutely. I'll send you information. I'll send your information. I I couldn't agree with John more. So we're going to go over to uh, a little bit of a fun segment of our program. Um, But I am going to say one thing first. Um, I love coming out of these uh, 
podcast with a, with a hashtag. And so, Latanya, you win the prize today. Saying that we changed the game. I mean, I, maybe I see T-shirts and bumper stickers and stuff. So thank you. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, but in a more serious way, a uh, lot of ALSPs that are doing good work out there. Uh, and Law.com has their uh, legal week, as you know, that's going over the whole year in uh, April. And then again in July, there'll be tracks on ALSPs that are doing the technology that you all talked about, services, everything. So um, love for people to tune in on that. Moving us over to Pet Peeves. It's our uh, fun segment of the show, uh, reminding uh, our listeners out there that you can send those in to uh, info to uh, Legal Innovators or to our Twitter or LinkedIn. So in this segment, we try to say what pet peeve has been on our mind for this week or last two weeks or what have you. A lot of people are bothered by a lot of things in COVID. So hopefully you guys have come up with something fun. Uh, I guess we'll start with you, uh, Latanya. Okay, there, there are two, and they're kind of interconnected. It, it's, it's. We've been in this COVID period for a time, um, and everybody has been on these video chats. We've done Zoom, we've done Teams, you name it. If I hear one more, you're on mute. Or if I hear one more, oh, I don't have my video on because I have a bad connection, I'm going to lose it. So you're on mute and, you know, we can't see you because you have a bad video connection. connection. <laughs> uh, both are challenges to engagement. Yes. You sound, you sound uh, like a skeptic there. Yeah, no, I, 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 I like that. I like that. We, we change. You're invited to Festivus, by the way, now. Like, I like the enthusiasm. Uh, Angela. Oh, wow. So pet peeve-wise, I would have to say... The whole pandemic is a pet peeve of mine. Um, as of late, my biggest pet peeve is having to wait outside to go grocery shopping. And where I live here in downtown San Diego is um, right next to Petco Park. They have a vaccine station they've set up that runs right in front of my building. So I can't have my groceries delivered because you can't get in. Um, so now I go to Trader Joe's and totally first world problems, but who knew you'd have to wait an hour in line wow. to just get groceries, right? Um, so that, that's what I was saying. Then just to follow up, you know, they have the little things on the sidewalk and in the store to keep your distance. People not following that also irritates me. I'm like, are you on my shoulder? I need you to back up, right? That, that, that isn't even counting the fact that nobody follows the arrows in the right direction. That's, that's, that's very right. true. It's a whole nother thing. Get, yeah. Guilty. Uh, uh, John, your pet peeve, please. Well, uh, you, you both don't have the benefit of knowing that every week I struggle to come up with a pet peeve. And I, 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 things don't bother me that much. So I was, uh, I went to see my wife and daughter and said, what, you know, I must be complete. What pet peeves do I have? You know, and um, and we came up with, they said, well, what, what are you, use one of Brian's. What does Brian come up with? I said, well, Brian gets irritated by everything. So I can't use his because he has like 30 pet peeves a day. Yeah, I do. Right? I got to narrow mine down, but, but I can't I, share. But I, share. I did come up with one. Uh, it won't it won't surprise uh uh, anyone married uh, of a certain age of which I am in that uh, sometimes the temperature gauge of the two members of the couple are different and uh, my wife likes to have uh, cold air conditioning on <laughs> and I really don't like chilled air 
Um, and I particularly don't like it when it's got uh, when it's chilled air moving by fan. So now it's moving chilled air. And and uh, and my daughter, my youngest daughter, <clears throat> someone's going to report us. She keeps her room, I would say, at ten below zero. I can't even go in and say goodnight because I get the yeah. chills, and she thinks it's perfectly comfortable and yeah. loves it. Likes that. It loves it. So uh, she turns the radiator off in the winter and all sorts of things. So my pet peeve is moving chilled air. <laughs> okay. That's a very specific pet peeve. That's uh, Thank you for your research this week. Um, and just slight correction on the legal week with ALSPs. I, uh, I got it wrong. Uh, it's May and it's June. And our uh, producer is trying to rush me through my pet peeve, which I'll try to do. So mine uh, are elevators. And so what does that mean? Uh, COVID. Everybody tries to close the elevator on you quickly. I'm like, two people can get in there. I've got my mask on. Stop shutting me out of the elevator. I can't believe you're blaming COVID for that. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's me. They're like, hey, we don't want you on here. But they haven't even met me. Like, if you knew me and you shut the elevator, that's one thing. But I'm a stranger to you and you're shutting the elevator. Uh, Anyway, we're going to end it there. Please uh, remember to send in your pet peeves uh, if you have them to uh, to Legal Innovators or tweet at us. And um, Thank you, ladies. Yeah, you were great. Thank you so much for for spending the time with us. And Angela, um, Texas A&M, one of our young lawyers is at Texas, came, comes from Texas A&M, and we are- Love to hear it's it. It's now one of, our, one of our schools, as is UConn Law School. Yes, good, good. I love it. Thank you for having us, and we appreciate the work that you do. Thank you. Brian, I thought that was really interesting, and both of our guests were fantastic. Uh, what what struck you the most? Well, I guess there were a couple of things. Um, I guess one is not surprising, right? Uh, but the level of thoughtfulness of both of our guests, right? And I think that, that what I mean by that is general counsel, chief legal officer, you expect them to be like smart and worldly and, and all that, and they are, and they were. But I think I got a sense, um, a more deep sense, especially in COVID, with them starting the conversation around risk with just how much more complex their jobs have become with really the same resources, right? And they've been the keepers of the risk and common sense and the additional things that they have to worry about. I just thought, wow, just really takes up the level of stakes uh, for people that sit in those seats. Yeah, for me... I was struck by so many ways in which the legal profession is changing in the course of my time as being a lawyer and an observer and participant in it. For example, corporate America, when I was in law school, we used to debate in our corporations class whether corporations had any kind of moral imperative to do what was good rather than what was in the best interest of the shareholders' bottom line. And right. some people would try to articulate, well, doing good is in the best interest of the shareholders' bottom line, but that was a stretch. And there were a lot of corporations that said, those are two separate things. That's not our job. And, you know, I came from an environment of you don't, you don't expect corporations. They were sort of the evil empire in those days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here we are 40 years later. And I would say that corporate America is stepping up and driving 
some of these social justice yes. equity initiatives in That's a way right. that unfortunately the government had begun to abandon and they used to play that role. Uh, and I think that's a function of their being responsive to their workforce, which is younger and believes in these things. And it's creating a sea change in the expectations that they place on law firms, which mm -hmm. were simply responsive at one point to what their corporations were interested in, and they weren't interested in those social issues. And even the, the discussion we were having about the work-life balance and mental health, those mm -hmm. simply were not discussions that were had in yeah. my day. Uh, it yeah. was part of the, you know, we're the Marines and we're the toughest and we all went through it, so you have to go through it mentality mm -hmm. that the younger generation doesn't accept. Uh, it's undoubtedly a healthier approach. It's just a very different approach, and it'll be interesting to see how the legal profession responds to it. Yeah, I, I, you know, obviously I couldn't agree more. Um, uh, you know, I guess we're talking about days, right? Even, even in my day, right? Like it was a badge of honor, how many hours you built and look, the pressures are still there, but I think it's just like driving a finely tuned car, right? If, if you can't keep your mental sanity uh, in check and balance that properly. I mean, even when I got into the profession, people talked about, uh, how people would self-medicate, uh, you know, alcohol and all of those kinds of things. Obviously it's nice to, to go and have a drink with your friends, but I thought the layered discussion, uh, that, that we heard from both of our guests here today in saying what they were doing, not only to make sure that their cups were full, um, and, you know, joking about the Peloton and, and, and that sort of thing. But thinking uh, about the organization and how do they keep uh, their team's cups full and, and maybe, uh, maybe the pandemic is really putting us uh, more of a spotlight on that. But I just think it's more, um, you know, more important than ever. And it, we talk about this, right, you and I and you with a, a, a daughter who's about to be, you know, a doctor uh, in psychology. I think it's I, I, for one, am just really glad that people are taking on this topic and leaders uh, like Latonya and Angela that we had here uh, to take the taboo out of it and let us look at it like any other health concern and say, um, how, do, how, do we, how do we just keep ourselves healthy? Um, I enjoyed that. Yeah, and I think leadership, the word you just used, is, uh, and the word that Angela used, is so critical. Here are two extremely uh, intelligent, engaging, personable, black general counsels who mm -hmm. are take it up who feel the mantle of leadership who have assumed the mantle of leadership and want to drive change and uh the fact that they are using their positions that way is a is a terrific sign for the future and i'm just really glad that they see their role that way and aren't shirking from it so uh, i really respect what they're doing and admire them yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I know we're going to sort of bring the discussion to close here in, in, a, in a second or two. I did want to talk about ALSPs and uh, not, you know, uh, obviously in a shameless self-promotional way uh, uh, because we're one. Uh, I think you heard Latanya talk about uh, across the board, right? ALSPs that are doing technology, uh, that are doing services, that are doing training and using the partnership uh, with us, meaning the, the writ large us, to think outside the box. Um, how do we address cost pressures? How do we how do we drive, you know, DNI changes and that sort of thing? And really appreciated the comments on both and uh, Angela's velvet glove analogy. And that is, 
let's get everybody in the in the in in our profession at the table and have these meaningful three-way conversations where the law firms uh the the corporations and then the LSPs whichever ones are specific to the 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 need there in question sit down and say how do we achieve the objectives as a collective versus you know somebody's thinking that you know either somebody's on their territory or there's a a win lose involved i i thought that approaching it in a thoughtful partnership manner across the board would produce some of those efficiencies, John, that you were talking about. And that's the final word. Thank you again to our guests, Angela Grant and Latanya Langley, for joining us today. Brian and I thank you all for listening to The Law in Black and White. We hope you enjoyed it. You can find us at legal-innovators.com for even more insights. You can also subscribe to our podcast and follow Legal Innovators on social media to see what we're up to. We look forward to talking to you next time and stay safe until we hear and see you again.